If you guys like that video or want to see it again, uh, you can look up Tears of the Saints on uh, Vimeo or um, YouTube. Uh, can we get the lights, please? So, well, oh, that was great. All right, so what we're talking about today is why churches die. And I think this might be my last one. I, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting because um, as far as churches go, uh, there are a lot of reasons why churches die. Um, but one of the reasons I think that the church dies, and we talked about last week why churches die, because uh, what? What's not happening? Right. People are not disciples, and they're not making disciples. Right? And so we talked about becoming a disciple. To this week we're talking about why churches die is because the church loses its mission, its purpose, its focus, right? Now this purpose of missions is, is uh, but one of the purposes. There's a few other purposes. Um, look at our mission statement as far as why we exist as a youth group or a student ministry. Um, you'll see the purposes of God in there. Uh, but missions is probably one of the biggest. People become so self-absorbed, and that happens in the church all the time. We, we worry more about what color the carpet is, right? And people leave the church because of that. So what I'm going to do is, uh, actually, I want you to uh, see the big idea first. The big idea is when churches give up the purpose of the church, it dies. When churches give up the purpose of the church, it dies. So if anybody asks you, your parents or whoever asks you, hey, what was the, the, the message about today? This is what it, this is, what it is. When the churches, uh, churches give up the purpose of the church, it dies. So we as a church, our response is that we want to become a purpose-filled church, a church that knows the purpose of God, and lives and breathes it. Now, this is the problem. I might have this purpose in my heart, right? I'm really passionate about something, like missions, or reaching the, the, the community, but you might not be passionate about it, right? This is the problem. The problem is, if this is not a passion in you, then it's not a passion of our church, no matter what the pastor says. There's a lot of churches like that where the pastors want to do something. They want to accomplish something great for the Lord. feel like the church, uh, God's leading the church in this direction and the people don't want to go. Remember that church that I, uh, I inadvertently caused to split? Uh, it was Glendale. It was a bunch of old people and a bunch of young people, and there was like nobody in between. And the young people really wanted to move in a certain direction and move, you know, to, to, to go after God and reach the unreached and reach you know, people in their neighborhood, in their community, and worship people who are com contemporary and all this stuff. And then the old people didn't want to have anything to do with it, and so they split. And um, that's what churches do. But for us, we don't have to be that way. So this is the deal. When you guys watch that video, what's the thoughts that come to your head? When you guys watch Tears of Saints, what, what thoughts, what, what's the problem? You guys are inundated with videos like this all the time, right? Not just in Christian uh, Christian circles, but... Like, we got to save the world, the environment, nature, animals, the whales, the whatever, pandas. I love pandas. But what's the problem when we see videos like this? Anybody? It's not rhetorical. Anybody? What happens when we see videos? Samuel. We don't act. Why? Did you see those starving, that, that starving kid in, uh, in uh, North, uh, North Korea? Um, if you saw Soul Train, they show this clip where this little boy is picking up, like, it's, it's muddy ground, trampled ground, and the kid's, like, picking up and looking for one single grain of rice and then popping in his mouth and looking for something. It's a little, little kid. You see that, and you're just like, oh, uh, what the heck am I going to do? 
It becomes overwhelming. It's too much, right? It becomes impersonal. Your heart starts to get hardened towards it, and then you start to separate, and then all of a sudden nothing happens, and you go to bed, and then you drink bubble tea the next morning, which is fine, but, you know, that's what we do, right? We just think about other things. But if we lose focus on the purpose of the church, which is missions, and today we're also talking about the least reach of the people, least reach peoples, then we start losing the purpose and the church begins to die. We've just become a self-centered church. Right? So I'm going to start with three stories, and this is the reason why I'm doing it. Because it's very, very difficult uh, to become very personal when you see uh, statistics and all these things happening uh, in these videos and these clips and these images. But I want to share three stories um, that my wife and I experienced doing missions. And this is the, this is the deal. You have to understand this. When, we, when my, my wife and, uh, and I went on these trips, we were 20, 19, 20? Yeah, how old are you guys? How, how many of you guys are 19 right here? Right? Um, when I was uh, 16, I think I went to Dominican Republic, um, and I had no idea missions would be the most impactful thing in my life. I remember the last day of, of that mission trip, uh, I was playing with these kids. This one girl had like two thumbs, like one little thumb, but there was no bone in it, so it was just kind of like floppy. And she would always try to stick it in my mouth that I would suck her thumb. I'm just like, get out, stop, you know, but I loved her. I loved her. And then there's this one kid who always smiled and he had a little bald head, right, a little black kid. He wasn't really black, but he was black. And he was just like a little little bald head and he was always smiling and ran around naked and had no clothes. And, and, And by the last day, like it was like Friday or Saturday or something like that of the week, I was just bawling my eyes out. Like that's what short term missions did for me. So just to kind of give you an example, uh, a couple stories, um, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I wasn't, a tradi- I wasn't especially gifted or wise or a good leader, or I was just a kid. I was like you feel right now as a 19-year-old. So the first one is we went into uh, to Thailand through Youth with a Mission, right? And we spent two months on mission trips uh, um, in YWAM. You go through this like three-month training course, and then two months of it you spend overseas. So we went to Thailand. And uh, one of the things that we always wanted to do, because you, you want to make a difference, uh, we wanted to go to an AIDS orphanage. In Thailand, there's an epidemic of AIDS. In fact, one of the restaurants we went to was called Cabbages and Condoms. And what they were trying to do is uh, pass out condoms to Thai people because they were getting their wives uh, infected with HIV. Because uh, they would sleep with prostitutes, the prostitutes have AIDS, they would be a farm worker, they would just come home to their wife, sleep with their wife, and their wife would get AIDS or HIV. And so it was prevalent in Thailand, and so there was all these orphanages with all these babies. And this is one orphanage we went to, and it was so cool because, like, they just said, all we need you to do is play with the kids. And we walk in the door, man, these kids are flipping out. They're not, like, really shy. They're, like, immediate, like, they see you, they're, like, and they jump on you, and they just sit in your lap, talk to you, hug you, like, hold you, like, won't let you go. And you're just like, oh, my gosh. Because, you know, orphanages, you hear a lot of these stories about these kids, uh, detachment, not, not being able to... Um, cope with people and all that. It wasn't like that at all. And there was this one kid, um, I don't know if he was trying to show off, but he was like three or four. He reminded me of Eunice's age, around Eunice, uh, uh, JoJo's little sister, but a little bit younger maybe. And he would just run across the playground, right? And the team would be here on swing sets, holding babies and stuff like that, kids. And he would run and he would be like, his, his head would be cocked this way and he'd be smiling really big the whole way, just running the whole time. He would just go back and forth doing that kind of stuff. We would feed them and just hang out with them. And then when we left, they were, they were all crying, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. And that was gut-wrenching. The next time we went to another AIDS, or, AIDS orphanage, um, my wife met this little girl named Ploy. 
And Poi was a baby. She was six months old. One of the stark realities of this AIDS orphanage that we went to is that there was this wall of these pictures of babies, these hearts, and then they would cut the, the baby's picture out in a circle like this and put it in the middle of the heart. It's beautiful. It was pretty. You know, construction paper, they just had this wall of babies. And we're like, oh, this is so cool. We were talking to them. And they said, um, uh, we were like, what, you know, what, are these, what, are, what are these pictures? He said, these are the babies that died of AIDS, of HIV, because they got AIDS from their parents from birth. And then we went to this one wall, and it was like literally like there's like this many, like just a few. And she's like, these are the babies that survived. And we're like, oh, crap. And so, of course, this ignited desperation in our hearts because all of a sudden we're not just dealing with babies that, you know, grow up orphans. They're most likely going to die. We have this huge wall of dead babies uh, and a tiny wall of living babies that make it. And something, and I don't know you guys, medical people, but what they said is if a baby stays healthy for a certain amount of time, um, the HIV will, uh, they'll test the baby again and the HIV, it'll be negative. They won't have it anymore. And so I guess that's how these babies were surviving. And so my wife and uh, another friend of our, Jody, uh, she works for Samaritan Spurs now. My wife and Jody, they grab two babies, you know, one baby each. My wife grabs Ploy, this baby named Ploy. And then Jody, she grabs this baby named Prim. And oh my gosh, they're rocking these babies, uh, um, crying, feeding these babies bottles, praying over them, Jesus, save this baby, save this baby, save this baby. Lord Jesus, save this baby. Don't let this baby die. Let this baby know who you are, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to this baby, please, Jesus. And my wife's crying, and they're in a rocking chair, and we have pictures, and it's like uh, this beautifully moving thing. And we had to give the babies back, and then we had to leave. And then we left, and then it wasn't too much longer uh, where my wife continued to kind of stay in contact. Uh, with the orphanage, and uh, Jody did too, and our lives kind of went on. Well, Jody ran into, the, in the mall, she ran into this, this kiosk of these prostitutes selling these dolls that they had handmade that they had saved out of prostitution, these women that had saved out of prostitution, and they would sew these handmade dolls. And so for, uh, Jody had, had a conversation with them, and they started talking about this orphanage, and they started to realize it was the same orphanage. And so that she started to inquire about them. There was a baby there, blah, 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 so asking all these questions. They tracked down what had happened to Prim and Ploy. They wanted to know, did they die? Did they die? Did they make it? What happened to them? Did they Prim got adopted by a Christian family in Canada. She lived, and that was Jody's baby. And then Ploy, she got adopted by a Christian German family, and she lived. And Ploy right now would be 17 years old. Uh, two years older than Josiah. Could be Josiah's bigger sister if we adopted her. <laughs> right? You, you see, like, that is, like, the touch of God where you, you don't have anything. It's not like you're really good. Like, my wife isn't this woman, like, come around, everybody. Wheelchairs, come on. I'll pray for you. Stand up, you know, and she'd do all this stuff. We were just kids. We were like you guys. And, and God said, okay, um, I want you to have a, a heart for the lost. Go do that. Do whatever you can. And then we would go and we're just like, Jesus, uh, and, and we were desperate and we were afraid. And we're like, God, please, you got to show up. You got to show up. You got to show up. And God shows up and we're surprised. But then when you look back in your life and you're like, okay, at least there was one thing I did significant. Not me, but the Lord used me in a significant way. At least. The last story is that we went to, in Konkan, this is also Thailand. What? Oh, yeah, mission team. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and he's like, suck it up. Mission team, get out of here. Get prayed for. 
And then you can run back, and maybe I'll, I'll tell you a funny story somewhere. All right. So we went to this small rural town called Khan Khan in Thailand, and it was like eastern Thailand. I mean, literally, there was nothing. I remember uh, our team, a bunch of uh, uh, white people, and then me. Um, we went and we got ice cream, uh, because that's what white people do, apparently, I guess. And so we went into the store, and they sell like little containers of ice cream. That's how they sell it. You know how we sell these big you know, tubs you know, in America? Like They sell like these little things, and we bought every single one of them. Like We bought the whole thing. The entire village for months didn't have ice cream because of our team in one fail swoop. Like We ate all of their ice cream at the store. It was awesome. <laughs> They're like, oh, you guys are so fat. We're like, yes, we're so fat, because we bought every carton of ice cream. I mean, it, it ended up like being like one, you know, big, you know, bucket like that we have in the U.S., but like we, it was like 10 containers of theirs. But anyway, so we were in Khan Khan, and, uh, and I don't know about you, but I feel really uncomfortable going around like really sick people. It, like I'm afraid of grossness, not like germs and all stuff. I don't think that deeply, but like, you know, like I'm afraid. What, if, what, what happens if I see somebody that is missing an arm? or missing a leg, or missing part of their face. You're just like, I don't know if I can approach them and act really normal, right? Do you ever, ever feel that way? Um, when I was in India, it was like that, man. Pe people would cut off their kids' limbs um, so that they could uh, um, uh, get more money by begging. Crap like that, right? You'd see that guy, this one guy would just drag himself, just limbless, drag himself across the, the, the concrete into traffic and stuff like that so, that so that people would give him money and stuff. It's crazy. Um, but we went to this infectious disease hospital. This was primarily AIDS and leprosy. And so we walk in there, and our team was doing very, very much what our, our Peru team is going to do, which we'll walk into a place, we'll say, hey, we want to show you some dramas, share some testimonies, and then uh, um, share a little message and, and, and pray and, and see if anybody wants to receive the Lord. And so, of course, like, we're like... We're all like you. Like, we're like 19-year-old. Most of us are like 18, 17, 19, around that age, uh, including our team leaders. Our team leaders didn't really know what they were doing either. So we just, we're like going there, and we're like, oh, crap, this is serious, because people are dying of AIDS and leprosy, and we're supposed to come with our little, you know, hokey dramas and our white gloves, you know, and think that we're going to change their life or help them or save them or some, I don't know. And so we go in there and we do dramas. We did King of Hearts and Redeemer. You guys remember those dramas? Anyway, so we did those dramas, and then people, like kids, shared their testimony. You know, 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds, whatever. We share their testimony, and then um, uh, somebody shares uh, the gospel, and then they say, "Hey, does anybody want to accept Christ? Does anybody want to start following Jesus?" And hands all over the room, and these people are missing noses, fingers. Um, obviously very sick, sitting in wheelchairs and all this stuff. And our team, we had about 20 people, our team just disperses and just starts praying over people, weeping and praying, and these people were weeping. It was like this really incredible, moving thing, watching our team pray for these people. And it's like, think, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I can't make a difference because I'm just a kid, or I'm sitting in Augusta, I don't have, I'm not in Concan, Thailand, I'm not in an infectious disease hospital. But I don't think the problem is that. I think the problem is oftentimes we don't think in terms of let's take opportunity. We lose our purpose because we don't look at opportunities. My wife is an opportunity maker. You hang out with my wife, she's going to talk to somebody about Jesus. I'm not. I'm shy. 
Like I'm super, my wife's shy too, but she just cares about opportunities. So like, you know, when my kids were like, hey, let's bake some bread. And my wife's like, let's bake bread for the neighborhood. <laughs> and that's why I have my wife thinks. So she goes out and buys like $40 worth of bananas and supplies and makes banana bread all day long with the kids. And they go door to door knocking on doors saying, here, here's some banana bread. Can we pray for you? And she has like amazing conversations in the neighborhood. I have not talked to one person in our neighborhood. I'm a pastor and I don't talk to anybody. My wife's like, hey, Chuck, hey, Charles, how you doing? You know, like, how's everything going? Your, mom, your grandmother's okay? You know, I'm just like, I don't know any of these people. Who's that again, you know? Because she makes opportunity. For us, a lot of us don't take opportunity. We go week to week, right, next door, uh, I mean, once a month, next door to that neighborhood to knock on people's doors and pray for people. You guys probably, those that have come, probably have done more ministry in that one week that one weekend, that one morning, where we just spent half an hour to an hour. More ministry in that moment, like honest-to-goodness ministry, than you probably have in your entire life. The vast majority of your Christian life is, oh, I suck because I can't wake up in the morning and pray. I suck because I don't read the Bible enough. I suck because I feel really selfish, or I yell at my mom when she nags at me. Or I use people, or I hurt people. All I care about is money or, or what I want. And that's all we focus on. But we don't think about opportunity. Unreached peoples, right? We have tons and tons of opportunities. What do you do? What do you do with unreached people? What, what can you do? And they, they made some suggestions. But one thing I would say is go on a mission trip. Remember when I was talking about Dominican Republic and why it was such an impactful trip for me? Go on a mission trip. We do not go on mission trips because we're going to save Peru. Peruvians, just wait. We're coming. All your problems, what, economic crisis? Not today. AKMC's here, ta-ta. <laughs> no, we don't do that. We go because really it affects us, and we want to be a blessing to the missionary. Because a lot of those missionaries, man, if, imagine if you were overseas and you spent 40 years over there, and you stopped seeing God move, and you're just really depressed, and dark, it's a dark time, and then you see a bunch of kids that are fired up for Jesus coming to your, into your group, into your ministry. And they're praying in faith, and all of a sudden, like sometimes I, when, I'm, when I'm struggling with my faith, I hang out with you guys and you guys strengthen me. We encourage missionaries. We encourage the pastors. There's these kids out there that are planting churches. Some of these pastors, you'll meet them. There's semin uh, seminary if you're going to Peru. If you go to Peru one day or Nicaragua or any of these countries, um, the pastors are like 19 years old. They're about your age. They don't even know the Bible. You know the Bible far better than them, and they're pastoring a church. And they have no idea how to do it or what to do. I was telling a college group... Um, uh, one of my missionary friends that started the, uh, helped start the modern church in Mongolia. He was a church planner in Mongolia years and years ago. And, you know, they started with like 10, 14-year-old girls. Like, as far as mission strategy goes, that's the worst strategy you could ever use. Girls, number one, because in a male-dominated society, girls have no influence. 14-year-old girls? That's like even opposite. Go on a mission trip. Sign up. Some of you guys are scared. Some of your parents maybe are against it. Start chipping away at your parents now. Mom, I really want to go. Mom, can you just pray about sending me? Mom, please, I'm going to save money now. I'm going to start saving money so that I can go on a mission trip. Uh, Josh Cooper, you're, he's going on the world race. He's going, on, uh, he's going to 11 countries in 11 months. So he's going to be gone for 11 months to go do missions in 11 countries. It costs $16,000. It's a lot of money. You think that's commitment? Yeah, I think so. If you're willing to drop uh, $16,000, go on a mission trip. Number two, pray. When you guys have, everybody in our church is praying at 9 o'clock at night for Peru every day this week. You pray for Peru. You pray for us as a team. You pray for our unity. You pray against satanic attack, right? Pray. 
pray for a missionary. Pray through a book called Operation World. Operation World is uh, statistics on every single country of the world, every single country. And it says prayer points and everything. It's really cool. You can look it up on, you can maybe get it on Kindle too. Uh, but Amazon, if you want one and you don't have any money, I'll buy you one. It doesn't matter. You say, hey, Howard, I want to pray through every country in the world. <gasps> yeah, definitely. I'll help you. Right? Pray. Pray for a missionary. Find a missionary. Number three, right? Support. Support a missionary. Go find a missionary. There's tons and tons of missionaries. 300,000 missionaries, only 2% go to the unreached. Um, I'm going to show you a, a, a last video after this. But only 2% go to the unreached. That means it's very, very, very easy probably for you to find uh, um, those missionaries, right? You talk to pioneers or frontiers, these mission organizations. If you have no idea what I'm talking about but really want to support a missionary, come talk to me afterward. I'll, tell you, I'll help you find all the missionaries that are in the unreached because there's mission organizations that are for that, right? Number four, get educated. A lot of you guys, the only thing you guys get educated about is maybe league. Like I remember talking to Fish and he was like asking about strategy and like getting better at league. I, I know I harp on league all the time, but, but like that's worthless. I mean, it's not even gonna get you a job, I don't think, right? I'm really good at league strategy. Oh really, I don't care. It's, it's like, it's worthless, you know what I'm saying? But most of us aren't educated on missions, right? If you want to know about India, watch uh, um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Have you guys ever seen that movie? If you want to know what missions are like, I, I was in Mumbai, and it reminds me exactly of Mumbai. Like, I was there, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Right? Read missionary biographies. Um, I have a list. I have books. Read missionary biographies. Read the book Radical again, or Radical Together, or Follow Me, or anything by David Platt. John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad. Read, actually, read books. Right? And I'm not saying all of this stuff for that you guys to you know, feel bad or this stuff, but this is like the next step. You guys want to be disciples of Christ? Be proactive. Start making moves. This is what mature people do. Okay, give me an example. If I get in a fight with you, let's say me and Will get in a fight, right? What would an immature person do? Not a fist fight, because, you know, like, look at me. <laughs> but in an argument, me and Will get in an argument, right? A mature person, or an immature person, what would, like, let's say I call Will a name, all right? What would an immature person do? What? Right, get mad, fight back, maybe take a swing, um, call me a name, right? That's what immature people do. But what would a mature person do? What? Be patient. Stop it. Why, why are we talking like this? Let's have a normal conversation, adult conversation. Is that cool? Right? What does a mature Christian do? They don't sit in the pew and be like, oh, I'll never do that. I'll never, ever go on a mission trip. I'll never be able to support. Or I'll be like, oh, I'm so excited about doing it, but then never take any steps. That's what, a, that's what an immature Christian would do. But a mature Christian would be like, oh, well, this is what it is. To be in a disciple, this means I need to start supporting. I need to be intentional. I need to be education. I need to, I need to sacrifice. Right? You cannot stay high school Christians for the rest of your life. I think some of you guys consider yourself mature, but I'm not mature in the Lord. I'm still striving, moving towards. I've not arrived. I continually strive for the Lord because my response is, Josiah will tell you, I've lost my temper on my kids like last week. When was it last week? Just like losing it, like not logical, like, ah! You know, like, like oh, that guy's psycho. You wouldn't think, oh, that guy's a mature Christian. I'd like to really be under his tutelage. No, you'd be like, what a psychotic, he's a pastor? That's what you would think. 
because I'm crazy. I got problems. But I continue to move towards and strive. I don't pretend like I've arrived. And so for you guys in here listening to my voice, you think, okay, unreached people group, way, way, way too far. It's too much. The least reached people, it's too much. I can't, I can't do it. No, that's not true. You just need to make conscious steps. It's not going to be razzle-dazzle. A lot of my missionary friends that went overseas to plant churches, you know what they said? The most thing that they, they said was stark difference is that there was no churches. So they would go to, like, Indonesia, right? Uh, they'd be, like, near Jakarta or, like, you know... Um, uh, Sumatra or whatever, and they'd be in there, and they'd be looking for a church, and they couldn't find a church to go to. There'd be no believers around. There was no worship music, because, you know, most people aren't musicians or singers or leading worship themselves. There was nothing. They just were missionaries, and they were out there. There was no Christians around them, and that's it. Being a mature Christian is not razzle-dazzle. Being a mature Christian doesn't mean, like, your life is going to be a Hillsong concert. Right? Or a Tears of the Saints video where you're going to be emotional all the time. Most of your life as a, uh, as, a, as a mature Christian is going to be sacrifice. It's going to be discipline. It's going to be love. Right? Loving in a, uh, in a difficult way. You guys can come in. Angela's in here already. Wait, where's your baked goods? Oh, okay. As long as you brought it, that's cool. That's the only reason why you're, you're, we're allowing you to come in here. Just kidding. Anyway, you guys get what I'm saying, right? Your mature faith has nothing, has nothing to do with your emotions. That's going to be part of it. You're going to have like this nice response, right? But it's not about your, you don't go off of your emotions because it's going to leave you high and dry. You go on the mission field, you're not going to have these emotional pick-me-ups. You're not going to be listening to John Piper on YouTube because uh, the country is watching what you're listening to or, or, or watching. So stop, st so stop being satisfied in, in your immaturity. Move forward into maturity, right? So those four things that I said, right? How do you get involved? How do you help? First one, go on a mission trip. Go on a short-term mission trip, right? It's not that much money, right? Our church supports, what, 60, 70, 70%? Actually, you know how much we're spending for this mission trip? $28,000. That's our church. And then um, our people, our, our, oops. So our, our people paid 11000 So our students, to go on a mission trip, our, our students paid $11,000, right, total, for all of us. Um, and our church is paying $18,000. You have no excuse not to go on a mission trip at our church. <coughs> go on a mission trip. We go every year, sometimes two every year. Elder, Elder Park, Cat, uh, uh, he texts uncle, Cat's dad. He goes to North Korea all the time. I'm like, hey, where were you? He's like, North Korea. Oh. Well, he just came back from North Korea, right? Speak of the devil, not the devil. Think, speak of Christian. <laughs> Number two, pray, right? Pray for missionaries. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for us. Number three, what? Give. Find a missionary. Support them, right? Number four, become educated. Become educated. Learn about it. And number five, Go, become a missionary, long-term. Now, this is the deal. I am not interested in pressuring you to become long-term missionaries. At JAMA, they did that. They were like, it was like really emotional. The music was playing. I think there was a smoke machine. And some guy was like, do you feel called to missions? And it was like, yeah! And I'm just like, liars! <laughs> All your liars! 
Because very, very few people actually end up becoming missionaries. They say they want to become missionaries, and then they get all emotional and tingly. But when you're in Jakarta or Sumatra or uh, East Africa or Somalia or Sudan, southern Sudan, and the northern Sudan Muslims are coming down trying to wipe you out, you don't think, oh, this, is, this is amazing. You get all these tingly feelings. No, you feel like throwing up because you're about to die. This is what modern missions is like. So I'm not going to pressure you to emotionally make you feel like you should become called to missions. No. You pray, you become mature, you start walking the Lord, start becoming more and more and more faithful, start giving, start becoming more uh, um, uh, um, educated, praying, and you continue to ask the Lord, Lord, shape my heart, move my heart, help me to care about missions, help me to make a difference, help my life not to be what everyone else's life, because everyone else's life in our world means little. Their lives accomplish very little. You know why? And this is the thing. Everyone tries to make everybody's life pretty and wonderful and it's awesome and amazing. It's not. Most people's lives are screwed up. They don't accomplish anything in their life. Everything they've accomplished is for themselves. But God has called us much higher. He says, if you are a Christian, if you are a mature Christian, then you will live and die for the gospel, meaning spreading the gospel, healing the sick, helping broken people, lifting people up, bringing them close to our God. This is it. This is the purpose. If you're not a part of that, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Now, not every one of you are going to be long-term missionaries or full, you know, like, you know, give millions of dollars. That's, that's fine. But if you're missions-minded, meaning if you think about the mission of God and the purpose of God, that what? Did you read? You remember that passage? Can you put that up there, TK? Chris read this passage. Look at this. And the gospel of this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus is not coming back. You know, those fruitcakes are like, oh, Jesus is coming back in this and this day. Or the, what, the Incan calendar, when it, Aztec calendar, whatever it was, the Mayan calendar, some, you know, South American Indian, right? They're like, this is when the date, no, because the Bible says the gospel of the kingdom will preach and then the end will come. The end is not coming. There are half of all people groups in the world that have never heard the gospel one time. And the vast majority of these countries that you go to or these nations or these people groups have never even heard of Jesus. That's it. So what, what is the problem? Are we living mature Christian lives, living out the gospel, but there's one-third of the entire earth's population that has never heard of Jesus? Are we living that out? Is that mature faith? No. We are screwing up. God is calling us much, 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 much deeper. God is saying sacrifice. Not to be accepted, but because he's worthy. Jesus is worthy. Did he die on the cross for us? Yeah, absolutely. Does he want your life to be significant? What is significant? Significance is doing what God has called you to do, what he's made you to do. And you know, we, we, we're afraid or intimidated by our parents. I'm not saying rebel against your parents, but a lot of your parents just want you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. And, you know, that's just, it's just that you just need a correction. Like, I'm going to be the best that I can be, or not military, but I'm going to be the fullest of who I can be through Christ. And that's it. Not money. Money's easy to come by. A lot of rich people are psycho. Paris Hilton. Wait, there's a lot more. But you get what I'm saying? There's a lot of nut jobs out there that have everything they need. We're trying to fill ourselves with the things we need. Become more mature. Move towards maturity. Amen? Let's show that last video, TK. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. 
He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bible, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now onto missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right, the vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work, but how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions money going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force armed with only 1% of missions given, 
is going out to reach the two billion people who don't have access to the gospel. Two billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? All right, put up the discussion questions. This is for your small groups. This is what I want you guys to go through. What country have you always wanted to visit? That's just kind of a um, get-to-know-each-other question. Uh, number two, what are some things your church have, has done to reach the unreached? Uh, number three, what are some things you could change to do more? Number four, have you ever thought about going into missions? Number five, what is stopping you? Um, so I want you to discuss in, so that you have kind of more of a realistic idea of what you want to do and, and how you're going to do it and what that means for you, okay? Um, also, Angela, you want to come up here and share? <laughs> 